Hello, church family. Uh, today we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 36. Um, and you know, by the way of just kind of giving us a, a running start to where we are at, remember that this is right after the apostles and the disciples. Uh, they were in Pentecost and the Holy Spirit had filled them and they were able to speak in tongues that uh that they have they've never learned and people all over um in the area from different parts of the world of the known world and biblical times were surprised to hear them speak and obviously there's some people that did not understand some of their languages so they were able and they accused the apostles and all the disciples there to be drunk with some sweet wine uh, so when we get to hear this per- portion of scripture, this is about Peter's uh, addressing those people. He's actually trying to rebuttal their assumption that what they're seeing uh, is actually not that they were um, drunk with wine, but rather this is actually uh, a fulfillment of scripture, that everything that they're seeing right now um, is part of God's design in redemptive history. Uh, this uh, little passage here is really the first Christian sermon that's ever preached. And Peter is the first person to deliver this. And as we go through this particular passage, um, the lesson that I hope to glean from this is that, uh, I mean, we'll go along the way as we go, but then the first one is just mainly how do we teach God's word well? Um, and when we think about teaching or preaching, um, there are certain components that we need. And the first one is this, that when we teach uh, God's Word, uh, we need to teach it out of God's Word. The best way to teach God's Word is to teach it out of God's Word. And we see this in verse 14 to 21, and then we're actually going to uh, look at some of the other passages throughout this portion. Mainly the fact that um, Peter uses the Old Testament a lot. So verse 14, but Peter taught taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my word. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. I find that line in verse 15 very funny. It's like, these people aren't drunk because, you know, it both, and it's like, uh, no one drinks around this hour. That's why it's the first argument. It's like, no one drinks at this time. Um, and this is, again, Peter is now finally standing up and being bold. To, uh, to stand up for truth and, and the Lord. He stood up in this situation and taught and addressed the crowd about what was going on. He's speaking about those who think that they, the Christians were drunk. And even in verse 15, it says, this is not something that normal people will do. Peter here is taking charge and he's doing this rebuttal against their drunken, or this perceived drunkenness. In verse 16, but this is what was spoken of the prophet of Joel. So remember, the first lesson is here is that we need to preach God's word with God's word and using God's word and out of God's word. And he uses an Old Testament passage here in Joel. This is Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 32. And it speaks of this prophetic uh, vision of what is going to happen in the future. Verse 17, and it shall be in the last days, God says, um, and we just stop there, the last days, meaning here, uh, again, this is plural, so I don't think it's speaking of like the, the definitive one day at the end uh, where uh, Christ's return kind of thing. I think this is just speaking the New Testament era. Uh, this entire uh, New Testament time is, uh, is what he's referring to here. That uh, continue on verse 17, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters, 
uh, shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will be in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now grant wonders in the sky above and the signs of the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, and before before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who called the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's this prophetic vision here that even but like before the day of the Lord, before that final day of judgment where Christ returns, that there's going to be these disciples and apostles that have these unique ability to prophesy, to have vision and dreams. And I think that's what the New Testament era is. So it goes really, uh, so this passage when you're looking at Joel, it gives you, gives all of us some perspective, eternal perspective of how God fulfills the promises that he has made all the way back in the Old Testament. What they are seeing is actually a fulfillment of what was already recorded in Scripture. And the prophets who wrote these things down are experiencing that at the moment. Again, this is fulfillment of what the prophets have said. In verse 17, only believers get the Holy Spirit and, and all that Jesus and Scripture said uh, will exactly happen. And scripture is from God and reveals God's will and the future of his will. Um, they were all predestined and everything is fulfilled here. And the point is that uh, it's actually not that this, um, it's not necessarily uh, the fact that they're speaking in tongues, although that's really interesting and cool. Uh, what is really magnificent is that God's actually fulfilling the prophecy he's made years before it happened. So Joel, when he's making the prophecy, uh, had, I think, this, this kind of near fulfillment and far fulfillment. He was speaking in terms of what was going to happen to Israel, but he's speaking beyond that time in, in the, what is to come. And it seems like in the far distance from where Joel wrote this, he was he saw what God wanted him to see, which is that there, there's going to be the Lord's going to enter into the people through the work of the Holy Spirit, and they will be able to do all of these miraculous deeds and speaking tongue and different miraculous gifts. Again, this is... Um, you know, God's way of working through the church, and he's going to even warn them of this other uh, cataclysmic event that's going to come when the Lord will return. And it says at the end of verse 21 that those who call on the Lord, they call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And that's the most important point of what they're seeing. It's not that they're speaking about the spiritual, I mean, speaking different languages for sake of speaking different languages. But rather, he's speaking these languages so that people can repent, so that they can see and authenticate that this is the one true God, and he's the one that they need to believe in, not anything else, and that they're not drunk. Rather, they're filled with the Spirit. They're, they're sober-minded, and they're speaking all these languages and to testify to the reality that, uh, that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs with which God had performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man uh, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting to an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So the first point was that we need to preach or teach God's word from God's word. And just also, again, if you have your Bibles generally have this um, kind of like a bold, it's usually all caps. That's usually all the references to some of the Old Testament. 
And from this entire portion, you see there's actually a lot of them. I read from 17 to 21, and there's also going to be again from 25 to 28, and then verse 30, verse 31, and then again in verse 34. The general point in that first point is that, yeah, Peter uses the Old Testament to teach the Jews. They are, they are familiar and aware of these passages, but now Peter's trying to tie it all together to show them this is what you've been looking for. This is what the, the Old Testament meant uh, by these passages. Now, the second point here is that when we teach about God, we must also teach, when we teach people, whether it's evangelism or teaching um, in whatever context, we should always teach the works of God. Uh, we need to teach of God's work. That's verse 22 to verse 28. I read the first uh, three verses here from 22 to 24. It speaks of how Jesus is the, he's a, he, he performed all these miracles and wonders and signs, and, and Jesus was delivered over uh, to death by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, this is one of those passages in Scripture where God seems to put both predestination, human responsibility, or free will in the same verse. That somehow, um, how that harmonizes together, it just is. Uh, and there's no real explanation how it works, other than the fact that those men are held accountable <clears throat> to what they've done, but even what they're doing was all part of God's divine plan. Again, this is, uh, Peter argues again from verse 25, where David says, to, says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Uh, moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And David here, he's really referring to his own suffering, but his suffering... It's not nearly as uh, bad as, a, as the suffering servant, as the future king. David is an imperfect king, and his suffering is going to be, he's just a foreshadow of the, the fact that there's going to be a greater suffering from a greater king. And that is obviously our Lord and Savior. Because it says here in verse 24 that God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Um, whatever type of pain that Jesus went through, it is tremendous, it is beyond human comprehension. I mean, Jesus said that he, he was, you know, he see, there seems to be some sort of fear and that he doesn't want to experience separation from, from the Lord when he's suffering on the cross. But he understood that it was not his will, but the Lord's will. And that pain and suffering ended the moment he died. Um, on the cross, when he endured all of God's wrath, the full weight of God's wrath was, was on the Savior. And there's this assurance here that since Christ died, he rose again. And this is supposed to, again, make people realize that, hey, this is our Lord. He is not someone that died. He, he, he comes back to life. And even David spoke about this. We see this as we, continuing, as we continue on. Um, it says in verse 28 that you have known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So obviously David was not speaking. Uh, I mean, David wasn't speaking about himself. And we see it here uh, breath, in verse 29. Brethren, I mean, confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So he's saying, and he's making this contrast here that David, although he's writing this, he's obviously not speaking about himself coming back to life. Rather, he's looking forward to speaking of Jesus coming back to life. Because if you open David's tomb, I don't, I don't know how they would know where David's tomb is exactly, but I think Peter is just saying that if they open it, they'll see that David's body is still there. Verse 30, And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God was sworn to him with an oath to seat, to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Again, this is the part where we call the Davidic covenant. 
in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, verse 31, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. So he's saying that David saw into the future and knew exactly what was going to happen. And then now Peter is actually trying to make that connection of what it was, what they were reading, and what uh, and, and what's the reality that happened, at least for them, just several days ago. <coughs> uh, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Again, he's talking about the fact that they were all witnesses to this. In fact, he this phrase, we are witnesses, shows up multiple times in this book. In Acts chapter 3, verse 15, it says, the, uh, but, uh, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, in fact, of which we are all witnesses. Acts chapter 10, verse 39, <coughs> makes that same exact claim, that they were eyewitnesses to that. Uh, we are witnesses of all things he did, both in the land of Jews and Jerusalem. They, uh, they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. So they are all witnesses to the fact that Jesus died on the cross, and he, not only that, but he rose from the grave. Verse 33 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And it's important that he said, Peter says, see and hear, because yes, they were eyewitnesses of, of all the resurrection, but they also are seeing that these people are speaking languages that they are not familiar with, and they're going to do all these miracles. And again, these are all to testify the, rea the reality that Jesus is indeed the true God. Uh, verse 34, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, and this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, this is all speaking of God's work in history. He's sp speaking of how God used all of God, uh, David and all of these different um, Old Testament prophecy to point to the fact that Jesus is going to die and rise from the dead. And he used scripture to back that up. And, and in Peter's case, he even used history to back that up. And he uses testimonies, eyewitness testimony to, for that. So what is it about for us when we uh, teach God's word? Well, when we teach about God's word, we have to remember that when we all, we're always speaking about what God is going to do that's revealed in Scripture. So that means when you're t sharing the gospel with someone, you have to sh explain to them what the Bible has to say about judgment and hell. You can't just say Jesus loves you and then leave it at that. Though that statement is true, I think the best way to do evangelism or apologetics is always to point back to the Scriptures. Show them from God's Word how, uh, how God works throughout history and how He has you know, you know, you have to explain like, sin, obviously, and the consequence of those sins. And the only way for people to be rescued is the gospel and, and Jesus Christ. Um, you want to preach and teach God's word by showing them the works of God. And also just the, explain the details. Obviously, if you're, you're doing some sort of cold contact evangelism, you may not have as much time. Um, but you always want to be able to teach God's word works to people. Um, and how he has uh, used every opportunity and means for us to hear God's word. One of the things I like to do whenever I evangelize with people that, um, that I've never met is that I always talk, I, I try my best to integrate the fact that God has put this, has ordained that we have this conversation and for him or whoever, whoever I'm talking to, uh, that they need to see this opportunity as the Lord placing this moment so that we can talk about the eternal things. And that's a way to try and get them to think about 
God's working and not just in the moment, but also through scripture as well. And you're always trying to say like, you know, God is trying to get, get your attention. These are all God's way of working through history, working through scripture and working through just the everyday life. And that's what we need to do. That's we, as we go in our teaching God's word, first we need to teach out of God's word, like how Peter used the Old Testament. Um, and then we need to teach about God's works in terms of how um, he goes about uh, working through history and redeeming people uh, for himself. And lastly, we need to teach with confidence. This is really a call for people to repent. And you see that, we see that, uh, going back to verse 29, he said, Peter said, Brother enemy confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. So throughout this whole thing, he wasn't just confidently speaking uh, in that portion, but throughout this whole time, Peter was speaking boldly. He understood what God's word had to say. He understood God's work in history. And he wants people, uh, and he, he spoke confidently. And this is where you and I need to be too. The more you understand God's word, the more you're able to speak confidently and boldly. Uh, the people that are mostly timid, timid when it comes to things like evangelism, sometimes it's it's not necessarily the lack of training, but it's really a lack of conviction. You know, I don't need uh, to, to for you to convince you to what your favorite movie is. You can tell me why that's your favorite movie because you have this love for it, this conviction that this movie is the best movie ever made. You can give me all the details and reasons why and you can say it without having to rehearse anything because it matters to you because you love that movie or whatever, if it's a sports team that you love. You don't have to do that much research because you love them. You speak with boldness and convictions. And if those things, the hobbies that we like, that we speak boldly and confidently in, that we need that with when it comes to the Lord. We need to love the Lord. We need to understand what God's word has to and that builds into our mind conviction so that when we speak about the Lord, that we can speak boldly and confidently. We trust that the Holy Spirit works in our life and we call people to repentance, that there should be no fear or, or shame when we share the gospel um, because we believe that everything that the scripture has to say is true and is real and everything in it. Uh, therefore, we go and we speak um, knowing that the Lord is going to to, to use us in a very unique way. We don't care so much about the results because if you're burdened by the results, then yeah, it's, you're gonna be, it's gonna be hard for you to share the gospel because you're focusing on your own performance. But if you trust that the Lord is telling us to scatter the gospel seed and, and he will cause a growth, then you will have no fear when it comes to sharing the gospel. So teach or preach confidently um, when you communicate God's word. So let's just review our three points. Whenever you communicate God's word, you first need to teach out, you teach or preach with God's word, out of God's word. Kind of like how Peter did, again, using the Old Testament, explaining it. That's what we need to be, too. When we're teaching God's word, we want to use the Bible and explain it to people. Second, we're going to teach and preach of God's works, uh, all the things that he has done. Uh, and that's what Peter did, too. He, 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 looked, he linked all the Old Testament, how God sovereignly used David to prophesy something in the future. And he speaks about how Jesus is the one who came into the world and died for the people, that he suffered the agonies. So he's speaking here of God's divine work throughout history. And lastly, you want to preach and teach with confidence. And that only comes when you know God's word, when you're convinced the way Peter is convinced that the Jesus Christ that he, he saw is the true and risen Savior. And you know enough about God to be able to speak boldly and confidently so that people come to saving faith. And I trust that as you do these things, the Lord will use you in a very uh, mighty and special ways and ultimately, I think, to draw people to Him, which we will see in our next episode. Thanks for listening to this one. Uh, the next one will be on 
chapter 2, verse 37 to 47. Take care and have a great day.